Clear. Welcome. How are you doing today? Hello, hello. Good. How are you? Good. You're actually the very first guest in this DAP Dialogues podcast, where we will attempt to deconstruct what it takes to build a great Web3 product. So, well, you have the honor. How does it feel? I'm honored, actually. I've been thinking about this for so long, and I talked to our CTO repeatedly that we should have more of these. We should have like a gang of Web3 product people. But yeah, really glad Particle took the initiative of this. It's definitely, I think, ever since I joined Particle, which is not too long ago, uh, one thing that I've noticed is that it's very refreshing to to talk more in terms of products rather than technology. Um, technology is obviously super important, but in an environment like Web3, where we're just building the, the infrastructure for a lot of these products to exist, sometimes we're guilty of just going over and over and over about technology and infrastructure and not so much about, well, products and solutions to people's problems, which is actually what's going to, to bring in users to Web3. So why don't you start by telling us uh, what is sign? what's your role there, and what do you like about, about sign? Yeah, of course. So hi, my name is Claire. I'm head of product at eSign. So eSign can think of it as like a consent capture platform. So um, to understand it better, it's just a contract signing platform, document sign, anything you want to sign, you can just upload it to eSign and apply your signature. But the difference there is you sign with your private key. Uh, in addition to eSign, we also build this product called Token Table, which is for founders, for Web3 founders to be able to unlock token, but that is also uh, like a part of our product. The reason we do that is because a lot of founders, they sign like fundraising contract with eSign, but after they launch the token, we also want to have the like the tools for them to unlock the token. So eSign and token table comes to play for Web3 founders, but eSign uh, individually serves for community to sign any type of documents. Right. Um, before yeah, going deeper into that, um, since you're head of product, why do you think eSign is a great product in your mind. What uh, what sets it apart, or what need do you think it solves? Although I guess the need part is pretty it's pretty obvious. Yeah, so um, it hasn't always been a very great product. I would say I joined eSign three years ago when it just started, and I would I would have to admit, like back then, it was very technical heavy, technically heavy, and it's not very easy for users to understand. But that's the journey. Uh, back then, the technology wasn't there as well, and that's like we gradually together explored both technology and design, and we got um, from a uh, Ethereum only um, signing platform to currently we're chain agnostic, and there are a lot of features as well added in along this journey. But uh, back to the product need um, for eSign, we we help people sign contracts. The reason why it's important is because. Uh, we found that right now there are a lot of Web2 products, of course, like DocuSign or some of the, we also have some Chinese platforms, but these are not interoperable. And all of the contracts and signatures, you have to verify within the centralized platform. And this is actually extremely important because um, let's say you are um, a different, a foreign uh, company and you're signing signing contract with an anonymous uh, entity or like any Web3 co companies, then that Web2 product doesn't serve the purpose. Um, similarly, for Web3 entities, for Web3 projects, some of the DAOs, they don't really have like an um, entity set up where they sign contract on behalf of like all of the DAO members. So let's say they use Gnosis Safe to sign a contract. With Web2 product, they, you, really, you can't really do that. So 
Um, for ESA, and we solved that problem. And I really think it's very important to have a platform that users can own their own uh, identity and assign with their either centralized identity or decentralized identity with our platform. And then out of the contract are uh, stored in a decentralized manner. So like they can, nobody can actually access any of the contract data and um, they actually own their signatures. Is that too long? <laughs> No, and I think um, you kind of like went ahead of what was going to be my next question, which is um, oh. what do you think there's a case for a Web3 solution? Because like you say, um, there's definitely product market fit for for digital signing. And you see how huge DocuSign and other solutions are. Um, and they're obviously well adopted and pretty popular. And in Web3's case, like you say, DAOs are a good, use case of why there needs to be a web3 native um, service for for this product um do you think um do you think there are other cases where web2 users might want to start using that or where something like it sign can attract a non web3 native audience yeah, definitely. So um, we have also been having this discussion internally. Our goal is to have mass adoption. We want more Web2 users to get to use us, right? But uh, let's be honest, the majority of the users, they don't really, they, they they care about the technology, but they don't care that much. They The most thing that they care is the pricing and um, how fast can it get done and if that's easy to use, right? So mm -hmm. our solution just to provide them um, user experience that they are already familiar with, they can log in and assign a contract. And however, after they found out, oh, it's a very like nice to use product. And we would say, oh, this is actually better than what like your uh, past product uh, past product experience because we're using decentralized storage and you're also like owning your private key, you're signing with a private key, it's also more secure. So that's just add on to the experience that it's already easy to use and that's just more reason to use it. So that's how we take it. All right. Yeah, I think um, th that's definitely one area where Web3 is lagging behind Web2 um, when it comes to, okay, how do we bring in Web2 users? How do we make that experience seamless for them? And I think from your, your I mean, the terminology that we're going to be using to talk about sign is kind of funny because in Ethereum, we talk a lot about signatures and obviously you, you guys are lit, quite literally providing signatures. Um, do you think that in this case, the infrastructure is um, in line with your product's needs or, or do you feel like there is definitely some constraints that you have to go uh, around? And well, for example, you guys use particle network for for social logins to allow people to log in or create a wallet with uh, directly with your gmail twitter email so that that's one i guess like one infrastructure workaround but i'm just curious about how do you find the overall yeah experience of interacting with web3 infrastructure yeah so um with web3 infrastructure it's Definitely, it's hard to um, adopt. Uh, it's, it's hard to onboard the Web two users because you see a lot of people are talking about Web three experience, user experience barriers, right? The thing that they talk about is, oh, now users have to be control of their own private key, and that's like 
the majority of people talk about this, but it, that's not only that, it's a very important step for them to get onboarded to the product, like Particle does an, an amazing job for them to log in through the socials. However, there are like other stuff they need to get familiar with, like all the Web3 uh, concept of signatures, right? And like transactions when you're interacting with the smart contract. Web2 pe people really don't understand that. And it, they just get like more and more confused. They said, okay, I see a social login. I would click on that. And afterwards, I, I see that currently a lot of product just like doesn't care anymore and they, they just onboard and that's it. But I think really think more and more products should think about how fundamentally interaction is different um, between Web2 and Web3. And we really need to educate or think of some way that can hide the fact that we are like interacting on chain or um, all of these like technical um, stuff, but just show the user what they need to know. If we definitely need to interact with the smart contract, then we need to let them know that what is the transaction and why they are paying gas fee for this. Or like, what's the fundamental different, uh, difference of the wallet signature and like, like the traditional signature, signature that we're familiar with. But yeah, that's definitely, I think is one of the barrier of um, onboarding web two users. Um, in, in particular, let me follow up there. Um... When it comes to gas, um, how do you guys think about that challenge? Because yeah, that, that's a big one for anyone landing from Web2. They have to start thinking about purchasing some ether somewhere. They don't know how much is enough. They don't know how to send it to their wallet that they're going to be using for each sign. So that's definitely a huge friction point. Oh my God, yes. Uh, I'm so... For our first ESAM product, we were on Ethereum only. It was very expensive. Um, and we were doing user testing internally uh, with our some, some of the UX designer. And when we were having the users to interact with them, we uh, recruited both Web3 and Web2 um, people. And just like Web2 people were so confused. They, I think back then we used it, um, we also had a social login and they were just confused. Where do I get the money? And they were asking us a lot of questions. So we had, we had to like send the fund first and then they will be able to test it. And later on, we learned and we used Biconomy actually to uh, sponsor the gas people out of the user and we switched to Polygon so it will be cheaper. And so like more and more people can experiment with our product, but that's still not enough because they can still see that transaction tab opening up. They will still need to understand why like they, it, it is deducting the balance where like there is an interaction there. So that's how we transfer will transform into the current product version where we like just shy away from the smart contract signature. We just let the users to sign. So no gas fee applied. And then um, in this way, and then store the signature and the document on our weave directly. So it's still verifiable, but, uh, and also it's chain agnostic, but there's no uh, smart contract interaction, no gas fee. So it's, we found that it's just the easiest for the user. All right, interesting. Obviously, yeah, gasless is uh, the obvious workaround around the gas problem. Who knew, right? <laughs> you just take the whole thing away. Um, but I think, um, like you said, there are still other points to consider, in particular, obviously, the revenue model for the product, because you, you guys had at some point need to sustain yourselves and if there's no source of income well there's no product right so in the gasless in the gasless content context how are you thinking about that are you thinking about a structure where mostly the contract creator is the one paying for the service or yeah how, how do you how do you face that issue 
Yeah, um, the business model is something we're also thinking about recently. We didn't charge our user before because we wanted to build a better product. We want more users to use it and then test it out with the community because uh, we already don't have enough users because we are a web three product. We just want don't want more barriers there. Um, but we are still thinking about it now. We are developing this um, SDK that we the companies and projects can integrate within their own product flow. And there's a subscription model uh, built on there. But for the community using eSign to sign document, we don't charge um, from the community. But if the project wants to use us to like integrate a terms of service, click and sign SDK, then we would charge for that. All right, gotcha, gotcha. Um, in general, I think it's it's funny, like you, you're talking about how you guys are rethinking some of these features. And I think that's the current state of literally every Web3 product. Like we're always rethinking how we face things. We're always rethinking how we how we approach these topics, especially when it comes to your to the insight of trying to onboard Web2, Web2 users into Web3 and to get them using a, a Web3 product um what other things have you considered when it comes to when it comes to this topic when it comes to mass adoption yeah um so in terms of mass adoption i think to improve the ux in general i'm thinking there should be two categories of people who are making the effort the first one is product people product design people uh, like us or uh, and the other group is te technical uh, people like our CTO or uh, all of these technical guys or girls. And like, so that will be the infrastructural level of improving the UX and pushing through the mass adoption. But for product and design, there's another level of just like doing more user interview to understand who we are serving, who is our cus targeting customer and what are their experience and how they're interacting with our current product and how we can iterate upon that. So we have uh, actually uh, made a lot of attempts in the past so one example of the more technical solution that we saw for the UX is we first did some of the user interviews um, to see that a lot of people have been complaining about, oh, because all of the documents are stored on chain, each of the document will have their own password. And I, I just have to remember all of the password if I have 100 contracts, that just doesn't make sense. And we hear that and we discussed with our um, technical team and they were like, but this is just how the centralized storage works. And sometimes there is a need of like pushing back and forth between the product people and the tech people, right? So we, we were thinking, no, that's absolutely not humane to use to do that. Mm -hmm. And then uh, our genius tech team just thought about a solution. Basically that's like solving problem from like a more infrastructure level. We actually took the idea from, we, our inspiration was XMTP, how they were in, um, encrypting their data. So how we did that is actually we used users' public encryption key and let them and generate a random like um, random number and let the user sign that random number and using the signature as um, the as like a password for the password. So this is this sounds super complicated, but basically the users can decrypt the um, password with their public encryption key and and decrypt the sorry, encrypt the password with their public encryption key and decrypt the password with their private key. So in this way, they can, um, all, you, all you need to know is the users can use their private key to decrypt the contract. And we will do the, like, the password um, 
decryption for them. Um, so like it makes the user's journey much simpler, but they don't have to know all of these technical details in the back um, where our tech team will handle that. that. That's one example. And the other example is um, from like a product level, a design level where we can make things easier for our user is uh, we talk to some of the hacker house in the space and like DAOs, how they were signing contract. They, they were saying, sometimes I don't know what my signer's wallet address is. How, how can I send it to them? Or people saying like, oh, I need to send it to 100 people. It's impossible for me to like sign, send one at a time. And we hear that and that's how we improve on our product by uh, recently we launched a uh, feature called link generation um, contract signing. Basically the users with the link, whoever with the link can open it and then sign it. Um, no need to input a wallet address up front. So yeah, that we have been working on this for a bit. And lastly, sorry if I'm talking too much, but lastly- No, this is great. This is great, please go ahead. <laughs> you can cut all, all you want. But um, lastly, we also recently pushed out a collaboration with Tom Foundation. So basically they're uh, the open network within Telegram. Um, and so how we did that is we built a Telegram bot. Every time they receive a contract, they would receive a notification through Telegram handle, uh, through the Telegram bot sent to them saying that, oh, Clear has sent you a um, contract. Do you want to review and sign? And there's a button there, review and sign. And then we built with Telegram mini app. It will open up and you can connect to your wallet and sign it uh, just like that. So people receiving the contract, it really saved their time by just receiving it through the Telegram um, bot and review and sign just in one click, uh, assuming that they have a um, wallet address. If not, they can use Particle to create one. Um, but yeah, we have, after the announcement, and uh, integration with Tom, our user number actually had a surge after that, which was really, um, we, we were really glad to see that. And we are also actively talking to uh, Line Grab to see how we can push this mass, mass adoption forward. But yeah, that, that's it. <laughs> no, that, that's incredible. I think you, you're kind of confirming a theory of mine. And we actually put this in one of our latest article in the part in the particle blog, article in the particle. So yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and it's about the different types of problems that you find in Web3 UX. Um, in this article, basically, we break them down into three types. Uh, one of them is pure infrastructure problems. Like stuff like you have to pay gas. Okay, that's just a given. That's an infrastructure problem. Uh, for UX, that is obviously that that serves uh, an infrastructure purpose. The other type is problems in adaptations of said infrastructure. Um, because obviously the fact that the infrastructure is there doesn't mean like everyone's going to use it correctly, right? And the third are more pure UX things that can be done better. And I think you actually touched on all three of these categories in the different solutions that you that you mentioned. So th that's quite interesting. Uh, you also mentioned in a small tangent um, the the number tracking and the user tracking. So I'm I'm curious because this is obviously a common pain point for Web three projects. Uh, how do you how do you track your stats? What do you choose to track? What do you choose not to track? How do you guys think about this topic? Yeah, it's actually hard for PMs in Web3 area to um to find something that they can improve on the product with like, find some data they can improve on the product while still remaining a decentralized nature. Um, so 
before ESA and I was working at eBay and we were working in like basically the A-B testing and data tracking. So, and then like when we were onto ESI, we were thinking, okay, how how does the data look? And there's really nothing to look at, but we only have the signature count for um, each day or, or like it, we have the signature count, the, the contract number, how many people actually sign a contract. We also have some of the features that requires the user's enrollment. We had this uh, feature called one tap encryption. So if people open that, they will have like a transaction pop-up so we can track that event. But that's really it. We we don't have any other data. That's how we look at it. Um, the way we analyze the data, however, um, we have a Doom dashboard, Doom analytic dashboard. We use out of the on-chain data. We see um, like the, the how to say that, the, the the demographic or like the spread of users within each of the network. See how mm -hmm. many people actually article to log in, meaning that how many people we might convert it uh, from web two, and how many people are using Ton. Um, that means okay, a lot of people are on board, maybe through Telegram, but it's mainly just like a guess, or it's hard to get accurate data. Um, how we did that is we also like did some mapping of how many users signing on eSign has an ENS. And through that decentralized identity, we can see, okay, probably A60Z.ETH has signed with eSign. That probably means that people from their company has signed it, but that's all we can do for now. And um, we also we also do track our landing page data to see how many people actually browsed our landing page for how long and at what point they decided to click on the app. But once they enter the app, all of our data are um, decentralized data. Yeah, you mentioned you also do interviews with with users, right? Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, that's the other. Um, that's like when you don't get enough. What's that called? Quantitative data. We go to qualitative, <laughs> right? So we recruit users. We have some close friends that we work with. Um, we just like before each of the project launch, or even before things are designed, uh, we show them like the map as saying, oh, do you, what do you think of this? Do you see like, um, do you see that you might need this in your uh, user journey? We like book a little chat with them to let them uh, walk through how they're signing the contract currently. So we recently called with, um, I think a project who's looking for fundraise. So we are asking them, oh, where do you get your contract? And they say, oh, through a friend. That's how we know a lot of Web2 projects don't really have a very legit resource of like SAFT contract. That's why we are collaborating with some legal partner to provide some of the legal templates. And then through these chats, we also learned that a lot of users, they are looking for the link generation signing a solution that, uh, that, that we didn't offer. So through these chats, we decided to uh, design it. But after these initial idea user uh, interview, we get into design. And then after we have the prototype, we would, our UX designers will uh, arrange meeting with the same group of people and some of the other people to just let them play around with the prototype to see if they understand certain visual cues, if the button works, just like all of the Web2 te techniques. But I still think they are very important in Web3, well, especially important in the Web3 product development process. And after that, we would get into the development. And then before launch, we would actually have these people who we had conversations with to test it out, to see if things actually work, if we need to do any like last minute fix, and then we will launch the product. Um, we weren't this organized before when we were in like two years ago. Um, so we actually learned from our mistake, I would say we decided 
we changed from Ethereum to like out of the chain. Uh, we deployed smart contract on out of the chain, thinking that would allow cross chain communication. But we didn't do enough user interview to see like the actual need of that. And then um, gradually we learned the importance of talking to users, and that's what we are really valuing right now. Um, and we will hope more users can also reach out to say, oh, I would like to sign up for a user interview. We would be happy to do that with them. And just curious, do, do you find it hard to track down users for for these kind of interviews? Because a, a lot of times that, that's another, another problem with these marketing initiatives in Web3, that people are so uh, obscure, to say a word, about their data or identities or about participating and I would imagine if I was in that position in a marketing department which I've been actually a lot of times you're just like okay how, how do we make how do we make sure that this person tells us the truth how do we make sure that this person is an actual user and then you get into a bunch of conundrums when it comes to proving that kind of thing yeah it is it is okay everybody lies and people in their interviews might say oh I use this to sign out of the like the fundraising contract, but in reality, they haven't found any investors yet. But like, they can be potential users, right? And well, that's, all, a, like, that's a big one, always. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they can be potential users, and also um, for like communities, we actually had a lot of testers from universities. We sometimes we give them incentives like NFTs, so they will be interested. But like during the call, even though we thought that that person might not be the fit, but we always learn from something from them. Um, for example, even if that person never sent a contract before, or like they don't sign a contract through the interaction, like we can still learn something that this button, the placement doesn't work. That might be one of them. So we just try our best to recruit as many people as possible and like group them into like some of background. If we know, if we don't know, that's also fine, but just like take something that we think that needs to be uh, improved upon and then do that. Not every like nitty gritty things, uh, we all take, but if like more than, let's say five people all reported the same thing, then we would fix that right away. It's like the product design bug. You do definitely learn a lot from talking to people. And that's very true of online marketing in general. A lot of times we just want to solve things by putting more stuff out and by advertising more and creating more content. And many times you just need to, yeah, step down your ivory tower and talk to people and say, okay, what do, what are you liking? What are you not liking? That, that's definitely a, a big factor. Um, and another thing I wanted to talk to you about as we start wrapping this up um, is the future. Because I, I think you guys are in a very interesting field, which is the intersection between legal and Web3. And... I know the folks at Kleros very well. Um, they are dealing with um, decentralized justice. It's obviously a different system, different field altogether, but I'm curious if you guys are interested in expanding your presence in the legal Web3 field or in bridging more of yeah, the, the whole legal scene into into Web3. How, how do you think about that? Or what do you think uh, you would be doing in, let's say, five years? Yeah, uh, definitely. I love that question. It's We start off as a contract signing platform because we want to do like signature-based stuff. But right now, when we talk to more users and talk to more projects, we really feel like there 
definitely is a lack there where like people would definitely need more Web3 legal consultant or like Web3 lawyers in general where they can provide such help. Or like, let's say um, there are more and more projects do, doing similar stuff like uh, the legal, the what's what's the project called again? Um, uh, Clarus. Yeah, yeah, like projects like that. Um, we, on our roadmap, we are thinking about, now we also have um, a thing called um, eSign contract library where the users can find all of the contract library contract templates that we uh, actually uh, collaborated with a lot of legal expertise like Mankun Law Firm, Cooley, who actually invented the contract SAFT, um, and all these legal partners to provide more solutions for uh, the community in general. And going forward, we're thinking of it to be like an open place where legal practices are, are can like come come here and um, contribute with what they have within the space. Let's say I have like this token purchase um, contract template that I might want to contribute to the community and I can just upload through eSign and through like um committee of legal experts, we can choose, we can vote and decide if the contract library, contract template goes into the library. And we can also track like how many community, how many people um, decided to use that in order to give like a point system for that. But these are all on the roadmap. Uh, we only have like a li template library that's available to download right now, but there can definitely be a lot to play around with in the future. And also, we also have this product token table, like I said, where we help um, product founders to unlock their token. So through that, we can also provide a lot of legal uh, advice or legal, well, just like basically consultant, but like connecting them with our legal partners. Uh, that, that's definitely want, something we want to facilitate in the future. Right, that's cool because then you're, and I think we're gonna see more of that in the future. Uh, businesses that have like their Web3 arm and their Web2 arm and just like, well, like you said, doing, I guess doing connections and introductions is not even a web tour thing. It's just like a layer zero kind of thing. That, that, that's, that's pretty interesting. I think a big point of the transition towards web three is knowing exactly where we need web three and where we might just find a better solution off chain or with a different, yeah, with a different approach. Exactly, exactly. It's the idea. <laughs> Is there um, any actionable advice that, that you would, would give people that are just starting working in Web3, developing their, their dApps? Maybe they have an idea and they're just starting to put it into, to turn it into a reality. Um, what are the things that you wish you had known before you started? I guess yeah. before you made your transition from eBay. <laughs> well, that's three years ago when I was still in college. But um, so um, advice. User interviews are very, very important. Do those. Don't don't like don't say we don't have enough user base where like it's bad to um, track people or I'm just nervous. I don't want to talk to people. Do that. That's very important. You will especially especially if you don't have many users, talk to your three users. Exactly. Like like um, at the beginning. We didn't find enough users, so we um actually just let our BD people to try out the product at first, like when we when I was still in a designing phase, so they can test things out. We can just test them 
with them because they are the closest to us. And we just test with our family members because they they send a rent contract. And gradually we get more users. We can recruit through Twitter and that's more ways. But definitely talk to users. There's no excuse not to. But And secondly, really understand the user interaction on your platform because I feel like it's hard to get a very, let's say, infrastructural uh, solution. Each D app, is, especially D apps, uh, interactions are different. So you really need to know if this transaction point or like this interaction point, the users fully understand them. If not, you need to think about some solutions to make it like obvious for the user or like let them know what they are doing and guide them through it. And lastly, don't just target a web freak audience um, because like if we want mass adoption, it's important for all of the products, all of the PMs to push forward this. Um, but yeah, that I guess that's my advice. That's that's great. That's great. I would definitely echo the Web3 part. If you're just building products for the people that already use Web3, your audience is very small and your possibilities of success are proportionally smaller. And I think I would even go as far as to say, like, if you're only building Web3 solutions for Web3 people, you might not really be solving many real problems. Um, that's ultimately what products should be for, to solve someone's problems. So thank you. Thank you very much for, for the time, Claire, and for joining us. You've been a great first guest to All Natural. Thank you so much. I loved it. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, well, any any shields that you may want to do? Where can people find you? Where can people find Itsign? Oh, just follow Itsign on Twitter. You can find us. Um, and I guess that's it. <laughs> Go to app.esign.xyz to try out the product. If anything doesn't, um, you don't like anything, feel free to reach out to me and we'll fix that. She will definitely listen to you. Apparently. And well, yeah, if you do use Itsign, uh, make sure to use Particles Web2 onboarding options. You may love them. Thank you very much, Claire. And thank you very much, everyone listening. Thank you so much.